calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's Jenny here in the intro. Hello. Oh, uh, hi. It's also Kristen. I'm here with you, Jenny, in the intro. I don't know if you knew that, but I'm I'm here. I Maybe I didn't know that, but I know it now. Well, I'm so happy to share this space with you. Up in the introduction for what is the first part of our two-part season finale. Uh, oh, we, my God. I know. We have so much incredible content uh, for this finale that we had to break it into two pieces. So in this episode, you're going to hear us talking about the first two dreams of Restless, uh, and you're going to get some very fun segments from Elise Noor about Sappho. So buckle up. <laughs> and you're also going to get a, a snippet from our interview with David Wells, who plays the Cheese Man. But before we get there, let's uh, let's talk about a little bit of news. Yes, please. All right, I'm going to start us off by letting you all know um, that when I'm not working on Buffering the Vampire Slayer, um, I am often found working with LGBTQ communities. I run a, a website, an organization really called My Kid is Gay, that supports young people, um, but specifically supports the parents and family members of young people who identify as LGBTQIA. So I am telling you about it in detail up in this intro because this summer I am hiring three interns to work with me on that project in a variety of capacities. I'm not going to tell you everything about those roles here, but you can find everything on my website. It's at kristinnoline.com slash internships. That's kristinnoline, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, N-O-E-L-I-N-E dot -E com slash internships. Um, there's a few positions. Some of them can be combined depending on your interests. Uh, one in particular I want to highlight, we're building an e-care package for parents and loved ones of trans youth specifically uh, who've just come out to their families, etc. And I'm looking for somebody to help me curate the content for that. That role will be filled by somebody who identifies as trans, and it is the only role that comes with a stipend. It comes with a $500 stipend. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to find who Whoever you are out there is going to help me build that e-care package. Uh, and you can find all that information again, kristinoline.com slash internships. Applications are due by May 5th, uh, and those internships all start around May 20th, so there's a little flexibility there as well. So get on over there and work with me this summer. Kristen, that rules. Hey, thanks. 
Um, also, speaking of the passage of time, as you mentioned, <laughs> seasons and stuff, uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to notify everyone about a schedule change. The Angel on Top finale uh, will run next week alongside our Restless Part 2 finale. And that Angel on Top episode will feature one Kristen Russo. I didn't know if you know this. In not one, but two segments, both the Fuck Watch and the <gasps> Cordelia Watch. You're welcome. That's right. Look out for that in your feeds uh, next week. And I'll tell you what else, Kristen. You know better than anybody that we have a merch store and it's full of beautiful products. Some of those products are new, including but not limited to a fabulous new beer stein with Isabella Rotman's Support Your Local Alewife artwork on it. It is majestic to look upon. We've got a new buffering logo mug. We've got a beautiful God's Eye View uh, pin of Willow and Tara doing their magical circle spell and all of our patrons just in case you weren't aware of this all of our patrons of the ten dollar and up level get a 20 percent discount on all of our merch all of the time so if that is relevant to you now you know you should definitely get on over there to our website buffering the vampire and click on shop and you can find all those things or click on patreon before you click on shop so you can get your discount uh, it, there's a lot of really cool shit as jenny mentioned i i also want to just be clear with you that in la it is seven in the morning and it just took jenny about 14 hours to <laughs> record the new merch announcements and so I, I hope it was worth it for you i am gonna send to all of our five dollar patrons the recording of jenny losing her entire mind giggling for like hours and hours about all of her jokes, which is really worth your money because it's pretty hysterical. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Um, in other news, so because this is a two-part finale, the finale song for season four will be at the end of next week's episode. However, if you have been a listener for a while, you'll remember that earlier in this season, there was an episode called Pangs. And in Pangs, we talked about some of the problematic stuff that happened in that episode with respect to Native people and their treatment in the episode. We had an incredible interview with Koya White Hat Artichoker um, about the episode, and it was just wonderful. It's it's still one of my favorite episodes of ours of all time. And at the end of that episode, we put um, a segment from a speech given at Standing Rock. But for the album, when the album released, we wanted to release something special and something that we could put on the album. And so Koya, who we interviewed, is a poet and wrote a poem specific to the episode and recorded that poem in her own voice. We have that at the end of today's episode. We are so excited about it. It is so beautiful and powerful. And if you purchase the album at the end of the season when we release it, it will be the song for Pangs. So um, when you get to the end of the episode, that's what's going to be happening. Uh, also, if you are so inclined to donate the organization of Koya's choice is called Sister Song, and they can be found at sistersong.net. So when you get to the end of this episode, listen to that poem, and then go on over to sistersong.net and contribute. Uh, you know that that is really the core mission here at Buffering the Vampire Slayer is to lift up marginalized communities. Yeah, we're just really psyched about it. Yeah, I have to say that like editing the audio uh, last night, I just kept getting like very emotional right mm -hmm. at the end. Mm -hmm. So yeah. brace yourselves yeah. for that. Uh, Jenny, something else you might need to brace yourself for is... All right, are you ready, Jenny? I'm ready. I love this new format of spooky news where I don't know what's going to happen 
uh, and you tell me. Well, this spooky news usually, and I love when you submit spooky news to me, so please keep sending it to bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. But this spooky news I actually sent to myself. Uh, it was a New York Times alert, which <laughs> let me know that in a recent study, researchers have restored some cellular activity to the brains of pigs that were dead. Okay? So, uh, yeah. Um, I read the headline and was like, spooky news. Like the jingle just like played <laughs> immediately in my brain. So basically, um, there were no signs that showed that there was electrical signaling happening uh, when they restored activity, cellular activity to these brains. So there wasn't like awareness, things that you would see for awareness and intelligence. But blood vessels in the pig's brains began functioning, flowing with the blood substitute, and certain brain cells regained metabolic activity, even responding to drugs. When the researchers tested slices of the treated brain tissue, they discovered electrical activity in some of the neurons. So I'm not going to obviously read you this whole article, but you should check it out. It's like super creepy I, to me. I mean, if you're a scientist, it's probably super amazing. But uh, listen, we just got through a whole season with Adam and his uranium core. And I just feel like this is some of the work that Professor Walsh was doing in her laboratory. Like this is where it began. Uh, also, and the scientists are never like, should we do this? They're just like, can we do this? <laughs> exactly. Um, and actually, it's funny that you say that, um, Jenny. The other two things that I wanted to talk about in this uh, news story is that, A, the scientists said that it poses metaphysical riddles. So <laughs> seems related. And the other <laughs> thing, okay, because you're saying like scientists don't ask, should we? They just say, can we? Um, the investigators, like when they started this project, they didn't want to take the chance that the brains might regain consciousness as unlikely as that seemed. So they had a plan where if, if the team saw electrical activity suggesting actual consciousness, they planned to give the brains anesthetic drugs and cool them immediately to stop the process. So like- What the hell? Just think about I these. mean, I guess that's good. It but is. Like, ah. But like it's bananas that like somewhere in a lab, scientists were like sitting around with a bunch of dead pig brains being like okay so if these brains come alive what's our plan like what, what's <laughs> the fucking plan so that has been your spooky news Wow, I don't, I don't care for that at all. Yeah, I don't, I know it's it's pretty rough. I feel like that uh, raises more questions than it answers. Agree. Well, <laughs> with that in our rearview mirror, uh, we want to thank, as always, uh, Lauren Klein, our dutiful sound engineer, who you can follow on Instagram at Lauren Taylor Klein. Yes, and before we get into it, we want to let you know there's a lot of reasons you should tune in next week, namely to hear the rest of our uh, episode here, the rest of our discussion of Restless. But also, we're going to have two pretty fucking big announcements at the start of next week's episode. I'm pinching myself so that I can keep it inside of myself for another week. <laughs> um, we're pretty excited to tell you what we're going to tell you next week. So buckle up for that. But in the meantime, yeah, buckle up for this. And 
welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time, spoiler free. I am Jenny Owen Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And this week we are talking about season four, episode 22. If you did the math on that, you know it is the season finale. It is called Restless. And uh, it's a big deal. It's a big episode. We're going to talk about it. But for now, let me tell you to stay tuned at the end of this podcast and the end of every podcast for an original song that's written by Jenny, which recaps the Buffy episode we are discussing. Every podcast? Every all WTF with Mark Maron. Literally, there's a song with Joanna Robinson. Yep, especially Cast of Kings. There's a song about Buffy at the end of every single that I wrote. It's miraculous. I'm busy. In fact, you're so so tired. I should actually go. I don't think I can stay for the (laughs) taping. I got songs to write. You're right. Uh, You should go. And uh, also, Jenny, if uh, if they're not listening to you sing a Buffy song at the end of every podcast ever created, <laughs> I'm hoping that you are all listening to our sister podcast, Angel on Top. It is a podcast that talks about the series Angel in tandem with our podcast. It's hosted by Brittany Ashley and Laura Zach. It's amazing. It gets better every fucking week. I love it so much, and I love them so much, so you should get on that if you're not already. It's so great. If you're not listening, you're just hurting yourself, so stop hurting yourself. Yeah. Restless was written and directed by Joss Whedon, a guy that you might have heard of, and it originally aired on May 23rd, 2000, which was the birthday of my first secret eighth grade girlfriend. I like that it was your like that it was your first secret eighth grade girlfriend, like you had another mm, secret eighth, eighth my grade girlfriend. Secret first eighth grade girlfriend. Wow. My secret eighth grade first girlfriend. You get what I'm saying. <laughs> Happy birthday to you, secret girlfriend, yes. if you're out there. Was she a fan of Buffy? No. It wasn't even on yet. You were in eighth grade. Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay, so this is the one where Buffy, Willow, Xander, and Giles experience dreams in which they are pursued by a mysterious figure. That's the IMDb description. This is a big deal episode in this series. Uh, Jenny is experienced in many ways, uh, has written a lot of songs, but also watched the director's cut. Of yes, this that's right. The director's commentary uh, track. So I have uh, made a lot of notes about things that Joss had to say about the episode, and I will be sharing them periodically. And uh, this episode, of course, you're probably familiar with it. You're listening to us talk about it. But it is, um, I would say, 85 to 90% in dream. Uh, the only pieces of this episode that are not in dream are the first few minutes and the last few minutes. Yes. So this is right on the heels, we are to believe, of um, them defeating Adam by bringing together their Scooby selves and all of their powers right, to right. rip the GAC-covered uranium Blech. core out of his chest. Uh, Adam is dead. Ding dong. The Franken-monster is dead. And they are like, fuck this. We got to go over to Joyce's house, get some VHS tapes, Blockbuster, ever heard of it? Some nondescript red drink. Maybe it's raspberry fruit punch for Giles. Oh, my God. Um, And we get a minute with Riley, don't we, Jenny? He got a haircut. So sorry to all of your ears. Riley got a haircut. Riley got a haircut. Jenny just banged her whole fist on the arm of the chair. Speaking of banging. Uh Uh-huh. In... The space of like 45 seconds, Riley manages to say that he needs to uh, go in for a debriefing. Uh, <laughs> let us know that they're not pinning anything on him. 
and also talk about his honorable discharge. <laughs> and I just want to say, ah! You think that was intentional? Like, the, it had to be intentional, right? Well, my There's... real question here is, like, why is the military so horny? Right. <laughs> hey, all that pent-up aggression? Yeah. Those tight camo pants? Right. That'll make right. anyone have an honorable this. Okay. Okay. Uh, so Willow makes a little statement. Um, so Riley basically it tells them, like, I have enough information where they're not going to fuck with me, you know, like, so I'm good. And Willow's like, wow, it's almost like you're blackmailing the government. And almost looks and directly the into scratches. the camera. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It> winks. <laughs> Riley is very uncomfortable. You're with probably this. wondering how I got here. Yeah. <laughs> Riley, um, I mean, Riley, like, just an episode ago or a couple episodes ago was, like, you know, saying things like anarchy and punching out his general. Yep. But it seems he's recalibrated back to a place where he doesn't want to overthrow the government, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Anyhow, Joyce. Yeah, speaking of overthrowing things. That's just going to be your segue for... You're just going to take one of my words <laughs> and repurpose yeah. it. Okay. What? That's how segues are supposed to work, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Giles, they're all about to hunker down and watch some blockbuster tapes. Hunker down. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and Giles is like, Bob, Bob, Joyce, are you sure you won't uh, join us uh, yeah. once we watch these videos? Maybe he could, like yawn maybe they could share popcorn maybe he could stretch his arm yeah over. It's, this is like the thing where like you're all trying to pretend like you don't know mom and dad have totally boned yeah. on a cop car twice yeah blah, 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 blah. but also dad just hangs out with teenagers right yeah it's, a it's very complicated giles occupies two worlds also i just want joyce to like let loose a little bit you know what i mean like joyce take off your robe have some fruit punch sit down and watch some vhs tapes honestly like what's she got Perhaps your hand will graze Giles's. Who knows what will happen? Uh, Anyhow, Joyce meets Riley for the first time. And I think that Joyce thinks that Riley is a hunk. I think Joyce thinks, wow, the UC Sunnydale campus is really close to my house. And yet I've only just met this boy that my daughter has been Mm. dating for a year. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that is a long time. A year? True. Well, no, there was Parker. Womp womp. Ew. Hasn't been a full year. But um, yes. So Joyce meets all the men, goes upstairs in her robe, and they start the VHS marathon. And everyone's out like a light. Immediately, of course. And that's very believable. They've just defeated the big bad of the season. They're tired. Uh, so it re- really takes it out of you, pulling the ura- joining your forest, your forces on a spiritual yeah. and metaphysical level yeah. in order to pull out the uranium core from a gag-filled chest mm-hmm. of a parasympathetic demonoid i can't remember what they call him but adam yeah you know so they're tuckered out and so jenny just made a gesture letting me know she has more to say before i segue us but we are going to move (laughs) after jenny says whatever it is that she's going to say into the four dreams so this is really a it's it's kind of a fun episode i think to talk about because we really get to be like quadrant one quadrant two quadrant three quadrant four yeah big clear Uh, division yeah but jenny what were you gonna say i was gonna say um my first note from from joss's commentary track Mm -hmm. uh is about sort of like the episode as a whole he talks about how in previous seasons uh in seasons two and three they have like big double episode like two-parter to be continued big event finales and in this season it was actually episodes 20 and 21 that were the big two-parter 
fi- you know, uh, finalized doing away with the big bad yes. kind of episodes. And then this episode he kind of viewed as a coda mm-hmm. to sort of like check in with like where all the characters have been, are now, might be headed. Mm-hmm. You know, they all have had big transitional uh, experiences in this season. Buffy has gone to college. Uh and gotten over the love of her life, who she had to kill, and then who came back. Blah, 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 blah. She's moved on with her life. She's like starting to become, you know, also more of an adult in the traditional sense. Willow, same deal. And she's also—I don't know if you noticed—but she's been doing a lot of spells with that girl from the uh, <laughs> the Wicca wing of the Stevenson dorm. And let's see, Xander did not go to college. He's been working a series of like frustratingly uh, dead end feeling jobs. Mm-hmm. And trying to understand what his role in the group is. Giles, post-librarian depression syndrome happening. And I feel like I read somewhere, too, that Joss was not doing, like, that Joss was not super thrilled with, like, how all of those storylines had come together. This was also a way for him to, like, redraw those lines that maybe got a little wiggly through the fourth season. Um, Mm. So... Yeah, so we get a lot, and we'll we'll go obviously through them one by one and talk about their arc. But this was a big first year in college for everybody, or out of college, yes, or without retired. A, um, yeah, 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 hashtag yeah. between retired. projects, as Giles <laughs> likes to self-identify. So, Willow, heard of her? Who knows the square root of twelve hundred and twenty-five? Gentle of heart and nimble with a hard drive. Willow, 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 Willow. Willow falls asleep with the cookie in her hand, which is just about the willowiest thing a willow could do. Sure, right? Sure. Um, and the very first scene in Willow's dream is Tara without a shirt on who is just sort of like looking at the camera, kind of the same way Tara looked at the camera when she said, I'm yours. Whoa. Right? It's the same look. It's that same like, my eyes are a little glassed over. Mm-hmm. I'm very much here for you. Um, look, and she is, as the as we pan out, we see that Tara is like lying on her stomach and Willow with ink and like a paintbrush is writing Greek letters on her back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jenny, this is, I know this might be surprising uh, to you, but it's a poem by Sappho. I'm shocked! Did somebody say Sappho? Hey everyone, here I am on the other side of that surprising bell to tell you that I have vanished Jenny just for a moment, don't worry, and I have a little surprise for us all regarding Sappho. I am here with Elise Knorr, who is a few things. Elise is an assistant professor of English at Regis University, a poet, a queer woman, uh, somebody I have known personally for many, many, many years, and the author of many things, but namely your most recent book, Elise, called Mega City Redux is out right now. So first of all, hi, Elise. Hi, Kristen. (laughs) Thank you for being on Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Thanks so much for having me. This is really awesome. Your credentials are outstanding. Uh, I want to just, I want to let you tell our wonderful listeners just like a little bit about this book that just came out, Mega City Redux. Sure. It's a remix of a 15th century proto-feminist allegory. And it is about uh, going on a 
feminist pilgrimage with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Xena Warrior Princess, and Dana Scully from the X-Files to find uh, a mythical city called the City of Ladies, which is uh, a, a place where women can live safe from misogyny and sexism and sexist rhetoric. It doesn't, that doesn't sound like it would be appealing at all to any of our listeners. Right? It turns out you still need the city as much today as you did 600 years ago. But you get to have fun along the way, right? With all of our all of our heroes. Exactly. So for for those of you, and I'm sure that we've let you know this in the show notes uh, as well, but for those of you who literally paused this interview because you're screaming, uh, you can find uh, more about Elise uh, and this wonderful book and all the other things that you do, Elise, at elisenor.com, which is A-L-Y-S-E-K-N-O-R-R.com. Okay, Elise, I have called you here today for a very important reason, which involves uh, two queer witches uh, within (laughs) a dream, on the inside of a dream. Um, Inside of that dream, one is painting Greek letters on the other one's naked back. (laughs) As as you do. As you do, as you do. And those letters uh, are actually a poem by somebody named Sappho. And I thought... I, I must know someone in the universe who can tell us about Sappho and just give us a little bit of like her history, what her deal is, and why perhaps this poem has been chosen to be the one written on Tara's back by Willow. <laughs> sure. I mean, the easy answer is that it's like she's the gayest author you can you can find, right? She's the origin of the term uh, lesbian to describe women who love women. She's also one of the best poets of all time. She's an ancient Greek lyric poet. We know very little about her life because she lived 2,500 years ago, Um, but she is absolutely amazing. Her work is beautiful and um, very, very, very gay. So here's what I know about Sappho, and this is why I called you. I had tried to look stuff up on Wikipedia, and I was like, this is not giving me what I need. But all I know is that when I hear Sappho, I think of the word sapphic, which pretty much means ladies who like ladies. Uh, And then I know that she lived on the Isle of Lesbos, which is where the term lesbian comes from. So like, what do we know? What does her poetry tell us about her identity as a lesbian? Do we know that she was a lesbian? Just tell us, blow our minds, Elise. So she definitely was a lesbian because she was from the Isle of Lesbos. And so that's what that meant at the time um, was that, you know, anyone who's from the island of Lesbos um, or even wine that was from the island of Lesbos would be lesbian. In fact, Aeolic Greek, which is the dialect she speaks, was also known as lesbian Greek. Um, the term did not come to mean women who love women until uh, around like the Victorian era, um, and it was used in uh, medical literature uh, sort of a, to diagnose uh, women who were attracted to other women as having an illness. Um, and at first it was, sa- it was sapphic or invert or, or lesbian, uh, it wasn't used as an identity marker until a little bit later, in like the 1950s, women started to embrace the term, much like we have with queer. Uh, you know, it used to be pejorative, but now we're going to use it as a proud identity marker. And so at that point, it became uh, more of a source to, of, a, of a community term. And so, yeah, it's, it's evolved a lot. But what we know about Sappho's sexuality is that a gay identity or a queer identity didn't really exist the way it does for us um, with, with like, you know, this, this is how I describe my identity. But we know that her poems are about loving women and her poems describe the beauty of women and uh, the physical impact on her of loving women and being jealous of like, you know, a woman who talks to a man and gets his attention. There's a, po- there's a beautiful poem called Fragment 31 about how much she hates that. Wow, that sounds like a Haley Kiyoko song. Um. It is, in fact, yeah. <laughs> and actually, like, so her her biggest impact, um, you know, culturally now is is 
you know, maybe the fact that that's where the origin of lesbian came from. But as far as poetry goes, uh, she influenced pretty much any any poet writing a love poem, all the way up to I would say like pop pop musicians today um, are, are influenced in some way by Sappho. Like, did you know the term bitter? You know the term bittersweet? Of course. That's Sappho. She made that up. Except in Greek, it's uh, she ordered it sweet bitter, which wow. actually makes a lot more sense because that's like the order that relationships go in when they don't last. It <gasps> starts out sweet and it ends up bitter. Oh no, Elise, you just gave me full body chills. Well, I guess <laughs> Sappho gave me full body chills, but yeah, <laughs> 2,500 years ago. She's oh, amazing. Oh, fuck. So <laughs> this is why, you know what Wikipedia did not do is give me full body chills. This is why I knew we needed <laughs> to talk to you directly. <laughs> and so there's disagreement, right? About Sappho's life, about Sappho's history, about what she was doing when she was alive. So there's a lot of like controversy and disagreement over the facts of her life and her biography, because the only things we know about her come from things that other writers wrote. We don't, we don't have any like, direct accounts right. and it's so, so old and so much has been lost. Right. So there's, and then what complicates that is that she was so good at poetry that she sort of like other writers, uh, male writers saw that as a threat. They thought it was unnatural and like over, like she must be overly masculine if she's that good at writing because like women are stupid. Mm -hmm. And so she, in the, in the hundreds of years after her death, she became sort of a burlesque comic figure for the, for Greek uh, comedians. Um, and she would just be this like stock figure. At first she was kind of slut shamed because the Isle of Lesbos, the women there were really known to be really beautiful. So at first she was sort of parodied for being oversexed, hypersexual. And then they sort of attacked her lesbianism and made fun of that. So uh, this all adds up to the fact that there, there are some accounts that she had a husband, right? And so everybody's like, oh, she had a husband. She wasn't as gay as, you know, she wasn't gay. She had this husband. This guy right here is writing about her having a husband. Well, it turns out that the person writing about her husband is a comic poet. And her husband's name is Kirkulis of Andros. And Kirkulis means like penis. <laughs> And Andros means man. So the account of her husband that we have is basically like the, the Greek comic poet is saying, you know, that her husband's name was Dick Johnson from the Isle of Man. Wow. So, so the, right. So this, so, so we, we can probably believe that this was not a serious account of a husband. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, but it's really weird because like, there's all these, you know, and then there's a bunch of accounts that she like threw her off a cliff um, because she had her heart broken by this young sailor um, but it's all just shit that's made up. Like it, it, there's just so much better that's like completely made up, um, that it's, that it's really, really, you know, intriguing and mysterious. And the fact that we don't even have many of her complete poems is also very mysterious and very exciting. Yeah. And I, I was going to say, you know, this, it's, it's like, I've never heard a story before about, you know, a really talented woman doing like really cool shit. Uh, and then, and then being like, you know, erased from history. I, it's, it's right. shocking to me. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the poem itself. Um, I want to start. So, so the poem is called Ode to Aphrodite, though I've seen it written Ode to Aphrodite or Hymn to Aphrodite. Are both of those accurate? Yeah, or Prayer to Aphrodite. Either okay. one's fine. And then it's sometimes also known just as Poem One because it's actually the only complete poem of Sappho's that survives uh, antiquity that we have. Most of, I mean, all of her other work is fragments. You have the text of the poem, right? You have like yes. the words that are actually, so will you share those with us so that everyone can know what is written on Tara's back? Sure. So this is the uh, translation of poem one by Anne Carson from her collection of Sappho translations called If Not Winter. Deathless Aphrodite of the spangled mind, 
child of Zeus, who twists lures. I beg you, do not break with hard pains, O lady, my heart. But come here, if ever before you caught my voice far off, and listening, left your father's golden house and came, yoking your car. And fine birds brought you, quick sparrows over the black earth, whipping their wings down the sky through midair, they arrived. But you, O blessed one, smiled in your deathless face, and asked what, now again, I have suffered, and why, now again, I'm calling out, and what I want to happen most of all in my crazy heart. Whom should I persuade, now again, to lead you back into her love? Who, O Sappho, is wronging you? For if she flees, soon she will pursue. If she refuses gifts, rather will she give them. If she does not love, soon she will love, even unwilling. Come to me now, loose me from hard care, and all my heart longs to accomplish, accomplish. You be my ally. What the fuck, Sappho? I know. <laughs> Good stuff. Holy shit. It is. It is. And, and how beautiful and wonderful that um, we have you here. We have this translation by Ann Carson, who I'm sure so many of our listeners already know of. If you don't know Ann Carson, get to it. Get thee to Ann Carson. Uh, and then we get to, like, you know, you watch the show, you know, maybe you know it's a poem by Sappho, but to get to actually hear the words is really beautiful. So thank you for reading that for us. True. So the poem is basically Sappho asking Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty, to come to her aid in persuading the girl who she loves to love her back. And I guess it's also just important to know that Sappho's poems as a whole sort of allude to the fact that poetry itself is a form of magic and that um, like it can manipulate reality, like language can manipulate reality. Um, and so there's there's like a kind of magical tone in in this poem, especially with the idea of Aphrodite. Like I will kind of like it's almost like Sappho's calling Aphrodite down, like casting a spell. Yeah. And Aphrodite promises to intercede on Sappho's behalf, almost like magic in this magical um, way. Wow. Elise, fuck. At the beginning of the interview, uh, Elise asked me if it was OK to curse. And I was like, yes. And then proceeded <laughs> to say fuck like 40 times in this interview myself. <laughs> Uh, but I do think it's just so beautiful. It's like, you know, I think maybe some people listening to this knew pieces of it and and some of them like me probably didn't know any of it. Uh, and so to get the chance to be able to watch this scene and to think about this relationship that we've seen in season four, like just blossoming that we're like rolling into season five with Tara and Willow. And that really like one of the last things that we see them do together is this, the connection between like poetry and magic, uh, the erasure of Sappho as a lesbian, the erasure of Sappho as like a woman writer, it all, it all really feels very Buffy. Um, <laughs> and I cannot thank you enough, Elise, for, for being here and for talking to us and for bringing all of this wonderful information to our ears. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my goodness. Is there anything better than Elise Nor talking about Sappho? Not one thing I can think of. Oh, except maybe a slow motion kitten. Oh my God. It's a nice slow-mo shot of a tiny kitten. Oh, uh, so, okay. So this piece of the dream um, has many things, a slow-mo kitten, um, but also a lot of words. Like I, I wrote down in my notes way more quotes than I normally do because I feel like there's so much meaning attached to like every phrase in this whole episode. 
I also want to say that this is not the first time we've seen a cat in a dream, right? There yeah. was a very prominent cat in the Faith uh, Buffy dream. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, cats are... Je- Jenny, have you seen Captain Marvel? I have not yet. Well, there's a very, very wonderful plot line in Captain Marvel. I've uh, heard there's a hot cat. That revolves around a cat named Goose. Um, I think cats... I think <gasps> A cat named Goose. I had a cat named Frog growing oh, up. Oh, cute. So just... I think Goose was the name Goose... Uh, well, actually, I don't know because like I don't know comics. Augustus or something? Augustus! <laughs> no, um, I, I took it because they were Air Force. You know, it's like all oh, Air Force, like so Goose, Goose from... Ma- yeah, it. exactly. Uh, anyhow, my point being that... Cats are mystical, magical creatures. They certainly belong in dreams. They certainly belong in Captain Marvel. They certainly belong in all these places because they're not really animals, are they? <laughs> they're weird, mystical creatures. So Willow is saying, you don't know everything about me. Tara is saying they will find out about you. And that's like really one of the, that is the core theme of Willow's dream, right? Is like people keep telling her she's wearing a costume to, to right, you know, right, and she's right, like, but right, this right. is me, this is me. And she's also at the same time afraid that people will find out about her. Yeah, and what Joss has to say about that. Oh, yes, what does Joss uh, have to say? Is that that is the misdirect that keeps sort of like cropping up throughout Willow's dream, like this identity thing. And, and you know, the viewer is meant to be like, oh, she's talking about her sexuality until we get to the scene where Buffy pulls Willow's costume off and reveals what willow is afraid people will really find out about her which is that deep down she's still the same uh nerd that she was in this you know in the pilot episode essentially right and i also think that there's i think there's a lot of uh layers to this um not to make a pun on like pulling off one layer of clothing (laughs) and there being another layer but it's like yeah i think part of it is that willow is afraid that people will know that she's still the same nerd she always was but i think more than that for me it's that willow feels like perhaps she's not being recognized for the growth and the change that she has made since that time that people still view her as that version of herself when she knows that she has grown and changed and evolved and is different than that person, you know? So Mm. I think there's a little bit of both in it, but I don't think that it's just that Willow's afraid that people will know she's a nerd. Um, I think there's a lot here for me with sexuality too, of course, right? That, Um, Willow has just come out and I think that when we come out of the closet if you want to use that um, phrase it's hard to feel like people might not think you're just playing at something right 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 um, or that people might feel like they knew all along like from whatever angle you want to take it from that it it's hard to feel like when you come out to people it it's as authentic to them as it feels to you. Mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. so I think we're also seeing Willow struggling with that, that the reality of her feelings for Tara um, and her feelings as uh, a queer woman are probably not being realized the way that she would like them to be. You know, I mean, all of us feel like that, mm-hmm, that, that mm-hmm. you know, especially when we're talking to like cis straight people. It's like, yeah, they get it. But do they get it? Get it? Maybe not. Yeah. It feels like, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. As much as Willow might be uh, thinking that, like, people aren't perceiving her growth Mm -hmm. and the ways in which she's developed over the last season, the last, like, four years, I think Willow is equally unable to fully accept the fact that she has grown. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like this is uh, serious 
classic imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, like she definitely, as much as she like knows about herself, she also doesn't. Yeah, totally, hundred um, percent. So. I have a few things I'd like to talk about. Yes. Uh, in this bedroom scene or dorm room scene. We're still in the, with Tara and Willow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Okay, so first of all, one of them is like about the kitten. One of them is like, she hasn't told us her name yet, which I'm happy to hear because we've all been thinking it. Nobody's been saying it. Miss Kitty Fantastico is not a cat name. <laughs> you may not. <laughs> I forbid it. <laughs> It's just not practical. Yeah, it's a so, lot to say. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited to see what uh, that cat's name is. I'm I'm sure we'll see lots more of that cat, right? I'm sure. What we do they will. live like? Ten years or something? <laughs> Twenty years? Um, also, I learned from the commentary that when uh, Willow pulls back the the curtain and looks out on the desert, that's actually there. They moved the wall. They they built a wall. Oh, wow. a, a, a Tara's uh, dorm room wall into the desert so they could get that shot through the window wow. and uh, out into the sand. That's very cool. Um, before we move into the next piece of Willow's Dream 2, I do want to go back to what you were saying about the cat and the name, right? Because this is like a double, it has two meanings. She hasn't told us her name yet. They're talking about the cat, but as we see in the scene where, where there's a slow-mo cat and also we see the snippet of the first Slayer. Right, right. Um, I think there's something here, and, and we're going to talk about the the first Slayer, and I would uh, move, Jenny, that we call the first Slayer uh, Senea moving forward because one of the problematic pieces of the way that this is treated is that she does not have a name, even though she does. We heard Willow say her name in the last episode. Her mm-hmm. name is Senea, mm-hmm. and she's not given a name. She's also not given a voice. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about these things. But there's a lot of problematic stuff with Senea. And um, the first piece, I think, is underlined here with the parallel of, like, she hasn't told us her name yet. Actually, maybe the cat hasn't, but Senea did. You know right. Senea's name, so use it. Thanks, guys. Um, so then we go to school. That's the next uh, dream sequence for Willow. And this is where, like, the boys get involved. It's like she starts with Tara, and then when she transitions to this next phase of her dream, it's Xander and Oz. And they are very, like, male gazy. Well, Oz is just kind of Oz, and Xander's taking the male gaze for the team here, um, saying, you know, she does spells with Tara. Oz says he heard about that, and then we get this line. Sometimes I think about two women doing a spell, and then I do a spell by myself. Two things. Yes, Jenny. First of all, Oz's face when Xander says that, he's just like, dude, are you fucking serious, man? Secondly, uh, you're not alone, Kristen. Um, Joss talks in the commentary about how this was like, this kind of pulls you out of the dream a little bit Mm -hmm. because it's not Willow having, you know, a perception of something. Willow has left the shot and she's like gone on to do her thing. This line happens and Joss was like, this kind of like breaks up the dreaminess of it, but it made me laugh. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and it's very like, you know, our history with Xander, our feelings about Xander. It's going to get real fucking messy with Xander and these ladies later. Interesting stuff to say about Xander. After that, some 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 unforeseen uh, insights. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into when we get there. Has anything to do with a speedo or no? No, I would call that an outsight. Oh wow, 
Or an in my heart site. So, um, right. So we get a little pulled out, as Jenny said, as Joss said, whatever this moment happens. It's cringy. It's funny. It's whatever. And we then go to the theater. Uh, And this is... I just, it's really funny the way that this whole thing is done, I think. We get Harmony back. We have Buffy as a flapper. We have Riley as a cowboy. Cowboy guy. Cowboy guy. Um, and this is where we begin to hear Buffy and other people say things like, your costume, you know, is perfect. Right, no right. one's going to know the truth. There's a quick uh, callback to Nightmare. uh, Nightmares. Uh, when um, Willow's like, oh, God, it's not Madame Butterfly, is it? Right. <laughs> um, and Giles and Harmony have this amazing, like, Giles comes out. He's obviously, like, the director of the show. Looks great in an ascot. Yes. I love that as a part of his speech to the group, Giles is saying, everyone Willow's ever met is in the audience, <laughs> including us. <laughs> Which is so dream. Peak yeah. dream. Yeah. Uh, and he's like going on and on and on, and Harmony's like biting around his ears, like from behind his shoulders. Really good comedy happening with Giles and Harmony, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And oh, hey, who's this guy? Oh, it's the cheese man, Jenny. He's made a little space for the cheese slices. He's made. A, we're gonna get to hear a bit from uh, David Wells, who plays the cheese man later. Uh, and this is the first appearance that we get of him. So exciting. I also just want to talk really quickly. There's a moment right before we see the cheese man for the first time. um, Willow is backstage. Everybody's talking. And then everybody like goes silent. But they're all still talking. And she's turning around very slowly. It's. There are a few moments in this episode where I'm like, damn, that's beautifully done. And I mean, the whole episode is. But this is like a peak uh, dream amazingness. So I'm going to just give it a shout. As we transition to this scene where where we're seeing where we're seeing Harmony, Riley, and Buffy all on stage together. Oh my god, it's the best. It's amazing. And uh Riley's all like, mmm, little lady, can I hold those milk pails for you? And then I've come looking for a man. A salesman. This is the perfect, like, this is uh what your brain does when you like have seen a play. It's like you know what that play actually is? This very bizarre mashup of like everything you've ever seen. I want to just play a little sound clip from the play that is one of my favorites. But what else can I expect from a bunch of low rent, no account hoodlums like you? Hoodlums, yes, I mean you and your friends, your whole sex. Throw them in the sea for all I care. Throw them in and wait for the bubbles. Men with your groping and spitting all groin, no brain. Three billion of you passing around the same worn out urge. Men with your sails. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty great. And also, this is another beautiful shot. It's like Riley in the foreground, then Buffy in the middle Dude. ground, and Harmony in the background. They're all in the shot, and they're yeah. all in focus. Yeah, so this is uh, achieved with the use, I learned today, of a Fraser lens, yes. which allows uh, you to access extreme depth of focus so you can see all of those characters as far back as they go in great detail pretty cool he also joss also talks about how you know they specifically were like leaning into like the like milkmaid thing and the like chicago flapper thing and then the like hyper masculine cowboy so like really um polarize sort of like gender presentation here and he talks about how when harmony says uh, the answer to a question that giles asks he's like no 
And then when Riley says the same exact answer, right. he's like, yes. And right. that was like intentional, uh, an intentional nod to. Wow. That's right. <laughs> Very cool. And how and how on the nose is that since when we are coming out and we're questioning our sexuality, the patriarchy and all of those systems that we once thought were real come into question. Sure. That like this all yes. really adds up. This is a great episode. We already said it. We're going to say it again. <laughs> So then we go to the classroom, and this is immediately clocked, I think, for all of us. This is the classroom. It is the classroom where Willow taught for Jenny Calendar, yep. right? It is, yep. It's where we, like, really first got to know Willow. Mm -hmm. And Buffy is like, hey, take off your costume, and she rips it off. And I think, I don't know how you all felt watching this for the first time when you saw this episode for the first time, but I think probably most of us thought she's going to be naked, right? Like, it'll be right. a dream where you're naked. That's how class dreams work. But what's funny... Not funny, haha. -ha, but what's interesting is that for Willow, I think she's more vulnerable thinking about that version of herself than she is being naked. Right. That, like, this is really her weakest spot. And it reminded me this is the dress that Cordelia said it was, you know, from Sears. Like, it's just there's a lot of, of rooted memories for Willow in this time in her life. I think her outfit rocks. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cute. Also, they nailed her hair. Like, her hair Yeah, looks... yeah, she's got a, a very successfully applied wig yeah. that looks super accurate. Also, um, in the commentary, Joss talks about how, like, everyone got, like, very emotional because they're, like, oh. you know, filming oh. the finale of season four and everyone was immediately like, oh, season one. Yeah. Actually, he kind of goes on to say, like, more like episode one, Willow, because even, like, after the first episode, the network was like, she's got to be less square looking. Right. So they somehow, I would have rather seen Willow wear softer side of Sears outfits for, like, a whole season yeah. than, like, the Just bizarro, the like, pom-pom animal sweaters. <laughs> um, um, so I thought another part of this um, that was interesting is that, like, once she gets to the classroom, we see that Anya is there. And I think Anya is a sore spot for Willow because of Xander. Yeah, yeah. And that whole thing. And then, of course, everyone's true nightmare, your current girlfriend <laughs> and your ex talking to each other. Oh, God. Oh, like my whispering, God. Kind of like looking canoodly. Yeah, Oz is like, I tried to warn you. Oh, God. You know, like, it's, I'm upset and I am not Willow. So I can only imagine how Willow is feeling. And then Buffy just watches when Senea right. comes in and attacks Willow. Willow's the first one to be attacked. Right, and she is kind of choking Willow, and there's an effect that looks like the life is being sucked out of her. So I just want to make a note of the uh, method, yes, the approach, the, yes. the area of the body that's, mm -hmm. that's being impacted as we move forward. Oh, interesting. I wonder why you want to talk mm. about the method and way in which these four characters are attacked. Uh, we will see. So... The dream ends for Willow, and she is left gasping on the couch. We pan out. We see them all asleep. Willow is gasping. And this is, um, you know, there's a lot of Nightmare on Elm Streety things happening totally. here. Because there's a lot of, like, in the dream, out of the dream. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more as we move forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for now, we go along into Xander's dream. 
As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. I love this one. I love them all. <laughs> so Xander had picked Apocalypse Now um, as the movie. And and Xander and his association with, like, soldier stuff has been pretty strong throughout the series, especially since Halloween when he developed soldier, sk- soldier right, right, skills right, right. that have been right, called right. upon many times. But there's also a masculinity thing here, right? It's like mm. um, even at the beginning before they all fall asleep, he's like, well, I got Apocalypse Now, but don't worry. I got some like chick and Brit flicks too. You know, like he's like, I want the fighting and this stuff because I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm a man. Which is a major sore spot for Xander, right? That, like, he's been the patriarchal dude for so much of this series because he struggles with his own feelings of, like, not being masculine enough, strong enough, not being a big enough contributor to the Scooby gang, like, on and on and on. want to note here that as they're watching Apocalypse Now, 
Giles says something like, oh, I see now it's it's about the journey, which is kind of like a meta comment, mm. according to Joss, on the episode, on the nature of the episode. This episode is not about a story that goes from A to B and then climaxes ah. at C and then has like a little outro. This episode is about the journey through the psyches of all the characters. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, that's um, good. And and even like I mean, as we when we get to Buffy's dream, like it's not what we'd expect from. It's not how we'd expect Buffy to to wrap this up at all. No, somebody said in um, on Twitter actually when we were talking about it in that space, somebody was like, "I just can't believe that Angel wasn't in Buffy's dream, right?" And that's just like one way. This that must have been like a scheduling. I feel like I actually read that there, there was like a scheduling, it had to be right uh, conflict with the Angel finale, and because and that's also the reason that we have Harmony and not Cordelia. Cordelia should have been in this True. episode, so there had to be. It had to be a yeah, scheduling yeah, thing yeah. because I think both of those characters would have been featured in this episode. We get Principal Snyder. We get, you know, we get all these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Humans. So um, Xander goes upstairs. Also, you know, who's not in anybody's dream is Faith. Yeah, what the fuck? What was Faith doing? Faith. What was was Faith specifically doing? Not Eliza, (laughs) but Faith. Um, So Xander goes upstairs to pee. There's this weird exchange. I mean, it's, it's all, they're all weird, but like. Buffy's like, do you need help with that? And he's like, I've got a whole system. <laughs> yeah, I'm I okay. <laughs> I love that. And uh, Jenny, I'd like to play a little clip of a song that played in my head when Xander got to the top of the stairs and oh Joyce my God. was standing there. Is it Lady in Red? <laughs> yes, it is. Cool. This scene is so great it's, the, the, whole scene is so, the whole episode, episode is so, so great good. but this in particular like the the way like the the language of their exchange mm-hmm. um the like i'm a conquistador i'm yes. a comfortador uh the slow piano music that's happening the way that some like for a couple of lines like joyce is it's just like a slow-mo like you know, slowly panning shot across Joyce's face while while she's speaking, but she's not moving. You know, her mouth right, isn't, her mouth moving. isn't it's moving. It's just like voiceover. And then there's one where it like pans. All, like she's like, "Why don't you rest a while?" And it like pans all the way to the bed, which is like already turned down. It's like, yeah, yeah. hot mom, chicka bam bam, hot mom. Yeah, I read somewhere actually that this was really like that that Joss was really excited about this as well for Joyce because so many times on a set you know, or on a show when you're playing the mom, you're like playing the mom and you don't get yeah. to be sexy, which let's think about that uh, fucked up shit but for a second. And candy. Uh, right. And so we get a little more of like what Christine Sutherland can do. Yeah. And you know, and also the the fact of the matter that of course you can be a mom and sexy at the same time right right um right. so this is very fun and then xander's like i'll be right with you dude i'm gonna go to the bathroom yep yep and yep. he puts, he, he, the he puts down. His, his system uh to work yep and the minute that he like gets himself ready to pee it like turns around and we see that there are many gentlemen in lab coats studying. Yeah. The entire initiative is taking copious notes. They're at the ready yes. uh, to observe and assess. And I have an amazing one-liner that probably wasn't uh, meant the way we're all going to take it from Ooh. the commentary. Joss said, I think that's the best use of the initiative we had all year. <laughs> and we're all like, uh-huh, <laughs> yep. correct. Correct. 
Salt the earth. Uh, so, so then, of course, uh, Xander's like, gotta go. And the biggest, I think the biggest piece of Xander's dream is that all paths lead back to the basement for him. A hundred percent. Right. This is like Xander is struggling with his own imposter syndrome that like he, he doesn't feel like he has done anything with himself. He thinks he's always going to be a failure. And that is why every time he turns a corner, he's back in that basement where he feels right. trapped. And right. Stuck. Right. And in between, he's just in other places that like reinforce how stuck he feels in the basement. Yeah. Oh, we also hear the doorknob rattling in a threatening way up at the door at the top mm -hmm. of the stairs. And we, we don't know what's going on there yet. But you think, I mean, you think that it is the same thing at the top of the at the top of the stairs that was in Willow's dream. You think right, it's Sinead, right? Right, right. Because right. that, that's the thing that's chasing them, we think. But of course, we find out that is not what's at the top of the stairs. Well, sort right. of is. Whatever. It's we'll the get whole thing. there. Uh, but we we go then to the playground where Spike and Giles, S Spike, watcher in training, and this Giles, watcher mentor, are just like going to town on that swing set. This is amazing. I I lobby for a T-shirt that is this swing set with the two of them on the swings in suits. Dude, I would wear that, that would rock. shirt. That would rock. Spike's like a son to me. Oh, my this God. Amazing. And this is, again, like, you know, we're in Xander's dream. This is Xander feeling like Giles doesn't approve of him. He doesn't have a father figure, right? right? right Everybody's right. better than him. This shit where playground Xander looks over at the ice cream truck and watches ice cream Xander. Yeah. Like, and the way that they, like, hold... On, on either of those Xanders at, like, different times within the scene for, like, longer than is necessary. Mm -hmm. Like, just, like, adds this layer of, like, meaning and resonance that isn't inherent just in, like, what you're seeing, but also, like, with the added uh, consideration of the, the time that is spent there. Yeah. Yeah. And we get, of course, Sandbox Buffy. Sandbox Buffy with the desert behind her. She calls Xander big brother. Mm -hmm. And he's like, brother. Which is, a, that's one of those moments you were talking about where it goes to his face and it really yeah. stays on his face for a very long time. Yeah. A watcher scoffs at gravity. It's important to note that oh. that is said. That's amazing. Uh, and then we get a perspective shift to ice cream Xander. Yes. And uh, now here we are. Here we are in the truck. I think it's going to be a big year for vengeance, Anya says. <laughs> and this is, so Anya says, do you know where you're going? And just to, to take us back a step, oh, yeah. um, you've always got to be moving forward, was said before. There's a lot of lines throughout that are said to, to Xander or at Xander that are like, what are you doing? Where are you going? You got to keep moving, et cetera. Right, 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 right. Xander is like, society has rules and borders to Anya because she's like, right, I want to have right. vengeance. And it's like, I love this because he says it in the dream. And it's like, you can almost see the inner workings of his dream mind of like, society has rules and borders. Hey, what's another rule and border that's been broken recently in my perception of the world? Willow is fucking Tara. Like, you know, like he goes right <laughs> from that societal rules and structures to turn around and see Willow and Tara at the back of the ice cream truck. And they are, of course, not Willow and Tara, really. They They're are like sexed up dominatrix willow and they're Tara. like brats doll yeah yeah they're willow just like Tara. they're like a wild hypersexualized caricature versions yeah. of themselves um which is of course because like you know we're seeing it from 
Xander's perspective. Right. And, and he even, yeah, it's like, it's it's weird to me. I mean, it's it's obviously, uh, many of you talked about this scene, like, can you believe how fucked up this, blah, blah, blah. Like, of course it's fucked up, right? But it also seems very hyper aware of itself. Um, and it gets to be because this is such a far cry from what Willow and Tara are. That, yeah, yeah, That we yeah. see, you know, the, this divide and it's I don't know like maybe I'm leaving too much room for Xander but to me having not watched the director's commentary but it just seemed like even Xander was a little like wait a minute like yeah. I think that the, I guess this is sexy but like what is happening yeah so <laughs> Joss hilariously refers to this as the longest lesbian kiss on network television up oh to this wow point. but but of course we don't see one millisecond of it right. but the network made them cut down xander's reaction time <gasps> yeah. gasp i know oh my god I, I know it's fucking bananas that is we're playing the fucking patriarchy jingle again god damn it More like the gaytriarchy, am I right? <laughs> wow, Jenny, that's a, um, that's my favorite note so far. It's wild. Okay, cool. So he takes this opportunity also to talk about the way that this is reflective of how Xander relates to most people on the show in a sexual way, mm -hmm. one way or another, either women that he desires or men that he is uh feels emasculated by or right. a, a particular woman he feels two particular women he feels emasculated <laughs> by whatever and then joss calls back to the conversation with joyce the the conquistador the like trope of men always looking for the next conquest right and how actually xander is seeking because of his home life, which we see even a little bit, you know, more of a window into as the dream progresses, because of his home life, he is looking to fill a void. And what he, the messaging that he has received up to this point in his life is the way you fill this void is via conquest. And, and that's how you feel manly and you feel whole and whatever. Right. But, but Joss asserts here that he's actually what he's seeking, but doesn't know that he's seeking is is comfort mm -hmm. and uh, familial and maternal love that doesn't exist in his family life. Right, right. Deep. Which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> I want to just shout out uh, Anya, who... Dude. And I know this is like Xander's dream version of Anya, but I gen genuinely believe that if the two of them were in an ice cream truck and Xander was like, can I go make out with that Anya, actual Anya would be like, yeah, fine. Which is like literally totally. her response. She's like, whatever. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to steer with no hands. So. <laughs> so you do whatever makes you happy. <laughs> okay, so Xander starts like walking back through the truck. And I want to just point out the way that Joss talks about the the uh, green screen, right? They wanted to do, I think it's called rear projection or something, um, like old Hitchcock movies, the way it would be when you were like looking at at two people in the front or backseat of the car and the way that shit would move. They couldn't do that because it's like too big of a rig, I guess, mm -hmm. to get set up. So they opted for green screen, which still looks, you know, bizarre and wonderful and dream. But because the aspect ratio on Hulu is wider than on the DVDs, if you watch it on Hulu, there's a part where he walks by a window and it goes from the out, it shows like showing like the street they're driving down to just like 
a big like blue glowing blank oh in the window where they just <laughs> were they like fill it's in. out of frame we don't need to fill it in right. anymore uh and then he and then he just like keeps uh crawling back and back and back and back and back until oh god he's in the basement again again uh jenny i think this is a great time for us to hear a little bit from david wells who plays the cheese man because of course xander gets to the basement and the cheese man is there and he is saying these with his slices of cheese <laughs> will not protect you. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I appreciate you we guys are... asking me to come in. Yeah. I, I was a little surprised by it, but but uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty nifty. Yeah. The fandom, the Buffy fandom is Ma- massive they're they're i'm shocked by it <laughs> i mean i i you, you guys contacted me and i went on the internet and i went some girl wrote a song to the cheese man i'm going you've got to be kidding me. Said, I, my son's 18 <laughs> i'm going look at this he's going wow dad look at this. Oh, yeah and the cheese man do you do you know what a big deal the cheese no man not is? not at all except i have gone places that people oh you you were the cheese man and i'm going yeah. And they're going, oh, man, it was so great. I'm going, I wasn't on screen, but like, I don't know, very little. Right. But, but, but you know, I guess, I guess, you know, Buffy, you know, Buffy was a good show. Creatively, it was, it was an interesting show, and especially at the time. So I guess people hook onto that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And you, like the way that uh, Joss talks about it in the director's commentary for the episode is that like, the cheese man is the thing that everyone asks him about. That and he's so like, weird. It, that is the one thing in the episode that has literally no, no meaning. meaning. I mean, he, you know, you guys ask me about how the audition process went. I mean, I went into the audition and I don't remember. Usually I go to a, I go to a lot of auditions and there's like 20 other guys that look a lot like me. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I think I, you know, I think I was the only one there. <laughs> You know, really? I think, because I went in and, and it wasn't in a casting office. It was with Josh and it was in his, I don't know if it was his office or something. I, I just remember it was this big space and, and there were offices around. And there was a big open space and I'm sitting there and there was nobody. I mean, it was just me, you know, I mean, and that, that happens occasionally. So, you know, but usually they're, they're, they've got a bunch of people. I mean, I, I remember one time they, they the, the casting breakdown said we're looking for a David Wells type. This was Whoa. 30 years. This is a long time ago. <laughs> you know, and the guy in my manager said, you want David Wells? I didn't get the job. What you, know, the? I, you know, I didn't get the job, you know, but, but <laughs> so, 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 but occasionally somebody, I don't know that he knew my work or anything, but he must have somewhere or somehow, yeah. you know. And, and what, so what did he say? Like, what did you know about the role? I, I knew nothing about it. I mean, I, I had the sides. And I, pl- I, I tend to play, I've played a lot of eccentric characters mm-hmm. in the past, I, you know, and, and um, I don't know, when you're, when you're playing these ob- sort of obscure or, or um, absurd characters, mm. you know, I, I play a lot of characters that, are, that, that have a, a different take on life or a different take on the world. And and you just have to really commit to it, and really, you know, the cheese becomes very valuable, and <laughs> and what you're doing is very important, and and what you have to say and and impart is is very important. And he gave me very very little direction. I just I <laughs> wow. think he, I I just did something with Ryan Murphy, who's kind of like him, and mm-hmm. these guys are really creative and really brilliant. And and Ryan Murphy never said a word to me. 
You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. he hired me, and, and I read somewhere later that, that uh, you know, I, I, I like or I don't like, and I hire people, and then I just kind of let them go. And, and I, you know, I, I noticed that, and I, I think maybe that was kind of what, what Josh was, was doing. You know? Wow. With the with this character, with the cheese man, you know, there's, what, three lines, and, you know, you talked about knowing that the cheese is very important. Did you have any larger story for the cheese man in your mind? Well, it's just a feeling more than something specific. It's just a feeling of, of possession and ownership of the cheese and, and what it means to you. And it can mean it just becomes very personal uh, personal to you. And then what you're trying, it, it's really a lot about the other people, more mm -hmm. so about, you know, it's really like bringing them in, getting them involved, making sure they understand, mm -hmm. making sure they care, making taking care of them. And and when you do that, it sort of takes you out of yourself and it, and it puts it over there. And so then you've got a chance of connecting. Right. The Cheese Man, I just want to let you know, is so iconic within... The universe that so we um, starting last year, we started throwing an annual prom for our listeners. And we threw the first one here in L.A. at the Ace. And someone came in cosplay as the cheese man. Well, God bless them. Mm -hmm. Yes. That is so sweet. Yeah, that, it's pretty I special. Mean, that, that's yeah. like, so they were wearing cheese? Or <laughs> yeah. they were... That's right. Yeah, yeah, they had a and the the full suit, suit glasses. And the, yep. Yeah. I think it, I, I can't remember. I think it was cheddar, but I'm not sure. <laughs> that was that's a massive question, actually. Yeah. Everybody well, wants I, to know. American. I think I think what I was wearing. I think that was American cheese that I was. Mm. Wearing. But it was real cheese. So it was real cheese. Yeah, it was real cheese. It was all real cheese. Did they do anything to adhere it to your head? Uh, I think it just kind of. Have you ever taken a piece of yeah, cheese? Yeah, it kind of just sticks. Kind of just sticks. Have. A lot of people have asked this question. It's very timely. Um, there's a video, a viral video going around right now where a parent throws a slice of American cheese at the baby and it sticks to the baby's head and it just went nuts. And so when we told people we were doing this interview, they said, does David know about the baby <laughs> no, with the I didn't cheese? Know that. Oh, so, that's, oh poor baby. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's a very funny video, but it, it uh, displays more than anything the adhesion the natural, properties yeah. of yeah, the cheese. Yeah, I think, I, I don't remember, but I, I remember, I, I just I think it just just stuck there, you know. And wow. I don't think it was a lot of thought about placement and everything. I mean, I just like, I just put it up there. Okay. A couple of our listeners wrote in and, and wondered about dreams, uh, since this is all this whole episode is is in you know four different dreams, um, and wondered if you had um, a crazy dream that you remember of your own, or a dream that you've had that's recurring, or anything. Well, I always wanted to fly, but I think that everybody, mm. everybody wanted that, right? I never got a flying dream. I, I never got off the ground, but I always want, I mean, <laughs> oh, but, I, but I was, all, but I was working at it. I was always working, working, working at it and just out of people's reach, but it, it never, but I've always wanted to, I've always wanted, you know, that dream. And that's recurred it's probably for a lot of people flying. Yeah. yeah. Have yeah. you flown in your yeah. dream? I usually fall. Yes, fall. Yeah. I've definitely yeah. had a lot of falling dreams yeah. as well. I, I've almost gotten off the ground and not and not quite. Wow. But uh but when you're playing it, you know, you're playing you're not playing it as a dream. You're mm -hmm. you're right. playing it you're in this situation and you need to help these people. <laughs> With the cheese. With the, the cheese. cheese. And the cheese you know, the cheese could could set them free. <laughs> yeah. set them free. Truly. Are they doing a reboot of this? The rumor has allegedly, it. Allegedly, yeah. something is in the works. There's very little information about oh, really? it. Um, but oh, apparently, wow! What if the cheese man returns? <gasps> oh my god! 
The cheese man's aged a little. Since, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. haven't we all? Hey, oh, yeah. the beauty of being a character in a dreamscape is that you can come back in any form you That's want, right. and oh, it'll yeah. still be believable. Yeah, you, uh, yeah. you know, it's really, I think, the hardest on the people who played the vampires in the series, right? Because they have aged, age. and right. they cannot come back, right? right. Unless right. there's some plot hole where they aged, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do Do you like cheese? I, I, <laughs> yeah, Munster, I like Munster, but Munster, everybody likes Munster, sure, right? Yeah, yeah. Munster, the people's cheese. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like Munster, but I'm not, I'm not that, not, not as much. And then my son tells me dairy's bad, you know. So I'm yeah, trying to, yeah. I'm trying to cut out a lot of it, but but uh, <laughs> but I do, I do like Munster cheese. <laughs> I wish I could tell you guys it all meant something special. Uh, <laughs> and and there's a secret, and the cheese man's going to come back and have his own series. And, <laughs> <laughs> what the cheese man means to me it doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with what it means or what he means to anybody else. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can mean what it means to them, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. you know? Thank you for taking Oh, the thank time. you, guys. No, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I hope, so I, hope I, I, I came across like the cheese man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, didn't disappoint. Yes. Oh, intriguing, he interesting. You know, you know yeah. he can't yeah. be the cheese man. Le that's leaving so, us wanting more. Yeah, you know? that's so yeah. you know anticlimactic. Mm -hmm. That's the guy. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. no, no, people are going to be absolutely thrilled. Um, so okay. thank you. Well, thank you guys. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much to David for <laughs> sitting down with us. How fun. We were just so excited because really this character is like, uh, it's like this is a cult TV show and this is a cult character. It's like Honestly, cult on cult. Remember when somebody cosplayed as the cheese man at our first prom? I do. Iconic. Jenny, I'm going to post that picture of you and the cheese man at our first prom. <laughs> Hell yes. Uh, to coincide with this episode. So... We come out uh, of the basement again, and we're back in the school hallway. My two favorite parts about this sequence, this dream piece, is the lighting, which I think is unbelievable, especially the stark contrast, like when they're in green and the scene behind them is in red, you right, know, what have right, you. Right, yeah, it looks And so then, good. of course, the language. Right. Um, which is... Which reminded me of, I don't remember the name of the episode, which is the episode where Giles is the demon he, and he speaks. Oh, he, a new man. A new man. Where he, he's, he's speaking to Xander and he's speaking right. Fjarl. Right. Um, but this is in French and I think there's two languages, but I only wrote down French. Um that both Giles and Anya wind up speaking to him in. And I want to um, tell everybody, I'm sure a lot of you uh, super fans already know what's said here, um, but I wanted to let everybody know what was being oh, said. Oh, please. I don't French. even know what's being said. So Giles in English says, the others have all gone ahead. Now listen carefully. Your life may depend on what I'm about to tell you. You need to get to, and then it switches to French. What he says is, you need to get to the house where we're all sleeping. All your friends are there having a wonderful time and getting on with their lives. The creature can't hurt you there. Xander says, <laughs> I can't understand. Go where? Uh, Giles, still in French, says, oh, for God's sake, this is no time for your idiotic games. On your rush is over. Uh, she's also dubbed in French, and she says, Xander, you have to come with us now. Everybody is waiting for you. Uh, Giles, that's what I've been trying to tell him, um, et cetera, et cetera. So they are, you know, like it's not just uh, French gibberish. It is, they right. are the actual lines. They are trying to say, like, come back. You have to get to this place. You need to get away. You need to get protection, yeah, whatever. yeah. yeah. And then we go to Apocalypse Now. 
to Apocalypse Now. And there's this really beautiful camera. Xander gets turned <laughs> upside down as the camera flips like the other. It's yeah. a cool camera move that they do to transition. Which, if I was understanding correctly, is a scene that happened, like a thing that happens in Apocalypse Now. Oh, <laughs> okay, that makes sense. And I and, and Jenny, maybe you got this from the director's commentary, but um, I was I read a lot about this episode before we taped, and one of the things that I read was that they actually had on set like the VHS of Apocalypse Now playing when they were filming this scene because it is a shot yes. by shot recreation of a scene from the movie. Yes, and who do we have here but Armin <gasps> Shimmerman, Armin, friend Shimmerman. of the pod. Oh, our very. If you don't know, if you know, if you you don't listen to all of our episodes you might not know this but Armin Shimmerman was our very first like interview uh, of any kind of any he, oh, well we talked to Steven we talked to Steven of but, course right. but he was uh he was our first was like, the first person we didn't know who we reached out to yeah and he said yes so if you haven't checked that out you should definitely check it out our interview with Armin Shimmerman back from season one uh so it's such a delight to see Principal Snyder Dude, I love where you're from Harris and Xander's like <laughs> Well, the basement mostly. <laughs> right. Which, like, we're getting very clear messaging. Right. right. Where are you heading? Your time is running out. Oh, yeah. I'm supposed to meet Tara and Willow and possibly Buffy's mom. Right. Xander's like, uh, I'm not feeling sexy anymore, but I know that I was supposed to be maybe <laughs> yeah. having some sex. Yeah, yeah. Um, he says this again. I'm a comfortador. And then after this, like, shot by shot... Yeah, recreation yeah. with Snyder, who of course is like another like authority figure. Like you know, like this all it all lines right. up with what we've been talking about. We get a really cool shot, and they do this a couple of times, I think, in this episode where they use the set as the set is built, but they use it to break the um, you know, the walls of that set. So um, Xander goes from Giles's to the school to the dorm into the closet. Um, the camera follows him yeah, on that journey. Yeah, which is yeah. Really All of these sets just pushed up against each other and, for this. and connected. And when you think about too, like you know, the the camera work is really incredible, and also the lighting. Like, think about that. They have to oh, light yeah. this as he goes. All these different sets are lit for um, Xander to be lit, but also for them to be. It's just really, really incredible. Um, I also wrote. Um, at one point during this journey that Xander goes on, we go through the set of um, I'm a Slave for You or Slave for You, uh, the Britney Spears um, music video. Oh, the slatted. That looks like just like a production hallway. There's yeah. like clipboards hanging up and stuff that they just like left. But if you want to do like a side by side, go take a screenshot oh. of Britney Spears' <laughs> uh, Slave for You video and then this uh, slatted hallway. I think it's the same. Yeah, I think yeah, they yeah. use the same thing. And of course, where do we wind up, Jenny? Back in the basement. Back in the basement. Now... I've already said this, but we have a long history with Xander. We call out Xander a lot. Xander's done a lot of problematic things. Continues to do some, but he's growing and, and changing. Um, and we've been on that journey with him. But we haven't really spoken too much about his family life. We've learned a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And I think that this dream, um, the finale of season four, we get more of an insight into Xander's root uh, Xander's family than we have to date and um, you know that door opens at the top of the stairs and it's not Sanea at first it is Xander's dad what the hell is wrong with you you won't come upstairs what are you ashamed of us your mother's crying her guts out you don't understand Uh, he comes down the stairs. 
and this is like I don't even remember. I was just watching another show where like there was this this theme of like the father figure just always. Oh, I know what it was watching. Angel. <laughs> it was a very similar thing that like Angel's dad, well, Liam's dad, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is if you don't watch Angel, Angel's name before he was Angel with Liam. Uh, his dad was very disapproving, was always telling him he wasn't good enough. He wasn't whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's what caused Liam to be a little asshole. Uh, and so this just was like. I was like, oh, this is a very similar thing. Xander's dad is doesn't approve of him, makes him feel like shit, makes him feel threatened, makes him feel scared, like makes him not feel comfort, right? Which is what you were talking about before, Jenny, that like truly yeah. at the heart of this <laughs> for Xander, he's looking for comfort. And um, then his father changes to now be Sinea. And Sinea reaches into his chest, not that far away from how Buffy reached oh into Adam's God. chest, and pulls out Xander's heart. Fascinating. Interesting. Let's just make a Let's note just... of that. And let me also just say one more uh, Joss thing from this dream. The way that he puts it, which I thought was really great and really worth uh, bringing to the table here, is that Xander's fear like we we just saw willow's fear right that everybody's gonna find out the truth about Mm -hmm. her xander's fear is that he can't get out of the basement and that he can't stop being a harris Oof! i know i know (laughs) this series is a lot of things but i think that one of the reasons that this episode is so um respected is not only because of the brilliance and the writing the brilliance and the camera work the lighting all the things that we've talked about so far but also because it really it really puts the series on on the map in a way that is different now like it's like we're grown up like right we're we're grown up right, now right. we're in like a fucking poetry dream sequence where we are learning the inner workings of these characters in a way that is lyrical and nuanced and complicated and you know it's just very exciting to know that we're getting this and we're going into season 5 that we get to walk into season yeah. 5 like armed with all of this complexity for these characters. So we have talked about Willow's dream. We have talked about Xander's dream. We've had some uh, <laughs> words with David Wells, who plays the cheese man. Uh, and we are going to do this finale in two pieces because it's oh just. Oh, my God. It's a big deal. So, um, Jenny, are you ready to uh, say goodbye for this week? And let them all wait to hear what we have to say about Giles's dream. So coming coming at you is Giles's dream and Buffy's dream. We also have some more guest spots. Wow! In the second part of our season four finale. Hell yeah! Okay, until the next part of this episode to be continued. Uh, I am Jenny Owen Youngs and shall remain. Uh, you can. I like that you said until the next episode. I am Jenny Owen Youngs. That was you. <laughs> Who's she going to tune in next week to find yes, out? Yes, I shall ever shall remain. Uh, when I'm not making this podcast, I make songs. You can hear some of them and learn more about me at JennyOwenYoungs.com. And you can give a shout on Twitter anytime at Jenny Owen Youngs. Yes, and until next episode, I am Kristen Russo. Uh, I do a lot of work with LGBTQ communities. You can check that out on my website, kristinnoline.com. Uh, I'm going to spell that for you. It's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. And you can use that handy-dandy spelling to also find me on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, I would like to say that I am doing a second podcast now. It is about the L word. It is called To Ellen Back. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> I think it's really fun. I also, Jenny... 
uh, am horrified and thrilled to find out that people are watching the L Word for the first time because of me. Oh, no. I know. It's a lot of responsibility for these two <laughs> shoulders to carry. Uh, but I'm going to do it. Wow, I'm going to manage it. Good luck out there. Thank you. Uh, so you can check that out. It's, you know, all the places that this podcast is. Um, it is an auto shuttle podcast that I'm doing with Reese Bernard, who's the CEO of Auto Shuttle. It's super fun. Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at BufferingCast. And you can always email us at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. Yes, you can support us by going on over to iTunes, rating and reviewing us. Uh, you can support us by listening to Angel on Top if you're not already, because yeah. what a delight. And you can also uh, support us on Patreon. Go to BufferingTheVampireSlayer.com. Click on Patreon. You can join us at one of many levels. And we have a rocking summer. Uh, New Year's rocking summer summer <laughs> what the uh, hell? <laughs> on patreon we're doing a lot of things jenny's playing some concerts i am doing a comic book club for the boom comics the new buffy boom comics uh people are pretty stoked over in the patreon space so join our family if you will please and of course you can always buy new merch we have oh my gosh jenny we have like really amazing merch in the store what's going right on over there okay so we have a new shirt from christine tuna a <gasps> reimagining of the logo it's so beautiful it is truly uh we also have a new pin designed by kara sykes that's on pre-order right now it is willow and tara bird's eye view doing the o spell as it is referred <laughs> to oh it's the o spell all right uh-huh it's the fucking coolest pin in the world uh you can also pre-order a new mug with our logo on it and fucking get this jenny you can fucking pre-order a beer stein with ah! support your local alewife on it there's ah! a ton of new shit in the store we're really excited uh so go on over there check it out buffering the vampire just click on shop and um is that everything is that everything we need to say until yeah. should we part two of this episode maybe we should let's let's both fall asleep and then okay. and then in our dreams we'll howl out okay 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 Do you think that was disappointing? Should we give them a real woo? Till next time. <laughs> Ah-woo! Ah-woo! Yeah. Oh, hey there. Uh, we're about to roll on into what is not the song for Restless, which you'll get next week. But we are going to bring you, in case you missed it in the introduction, a poem written by Koya White Hat Artichoker. If you don't remember, Koya was uh, the person that we interviewed for the episode Pangs. And what's very special is not only did we get that interview with Koya, but Koya is a poet and so wrote a poem specific to the episode Pangs, which we're going to play here for you, and also which will be on the album that's released at the end of the season for season four. And if you want to support an organization that's important to Koya and important to us, uh, you can check out Sister Song at sistersong.net. Yes, and all that information, of course, will be in our show notes. Uh, without further ado, here's Koya. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Koya, for this beautiful poem. Pangs. Why are you here? I am vengeance. Spirits come back from the other side, having never gone home. Manifest, a people's rage, a genocide gone by, remains unnamed. We can only be vile ghosts of the past, but we know blood memory. We know you teach lies about our people. 
California Gold Coast Costs Native Lives, asking us to feel sympathy for the infected boy man, a researcher down, for those who hold histories of destruction, California Mission's dark secret, our ancestors still watch, still carry this pain, Hus, our grandfathers come to protect, a cry for justice, let it begin. We don't say Indian anymore, we say Native American, cause y'all trying so hard. Pass the oregano, I don't wanna hurt him. Yet y'all still act like Custer. Can you even see him? Beyond your beliefs of wild savages, people murdered, sacred objects housed in your anthropology departments, same refrain, the only good Indian is a dead Indian. This week's big bad is America's original sin. Can we blame Buffy for not knowing what to do? This country has never settled this question. So why would Joss know better or Marty when white folks interpret history based on what they haven't been told? We get the same result, stoic, unspoken, silent native, rage in a vacuum, just get over it. The past is the past until it rises again. We know what you do to the land, you do to yourself. From hidden missions to Standing Rock to Washington DC, Sharice, Deb, and AOC honor the histories. They stand in the hallways of Congress, bold and unmuted, because our rage won't be held in mystery or the past. We survived, we are here. Don't fear vengeance, fear everything you didn't learn a planet on fire, this temporary reality, denial. We tried to tell you, live in balance with all life. Instead, we got missions, churches, mass graves, and walks of death. Hus is our ancestors' trauma come full circle. Why are you here? And how do we let you go? What brings peace to the restless? How do we heal? And how will we know? Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.